Richard, what district is it that you're running in? District 95, which is uh, the very south of South Baldwin. Running in State House District 95. Richard, I appreciate you uh, taking a long lunch break from your uh, from your <laughs> shift at work to talk to us. Oh man, I appreciate you just uh, wanting to interview me. It's uh, it's an honor. Yeah, well, hopefully, um, you know, uh, your mobile is a little bit outside of our FM area. But we are on a, um, we're actually, you know what, I just thought about this. Uh, We're on a community radio station in New Orleans. Um, So maybe maybe a couple folks driving back and forth from New Orleans will hear that it'd be in your district. I don't know. Um, But maybe we can Fingers crossed. Y'all definitely have to let me know when this airs. All right. Yeah, we'll do. Um, so let's start off with some, uh, you know, some just some background information on you. I mentioned that you are in, uh, you're on your lunch break right now, and and you're a server. Um, are you? Is is that like have have you always been a like? Are are is that your career, or are you going to college? What's you know? Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, so um, I actually started working in college. Um, I graduated in 2013. Um, with a bachelor's in advertising, uh, and I didn't really see myself in advertising after I learned everything about it. Um, something about manipulating people into buying a product just didn't sit right with me, and now here I am manipulating people to vote for me, so <laughs> full circle kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I, I started serving, um, really got a knack for it, so I actually used the skills I learned to travel around the world for a bit um, from the Years of 2016 to 2019, I was abroad. I served in restaurants in Australia and New Zealand and uh, got to spend a few months in uh, Asia and Europe because of it, because in Australia and New Zealand, they pay a living wage on top of tips to your servers, um, which was a really novel idea at the time. And I would love to Mm -hmm. see something like that brought uh, closer to home. But uh, yeah, I came back here and I've been serving ever since. Wow, that is, how does one serve abroad? I had never even, you know, I had never even conceived of such a thing. How, how does that happen? Oh, well, um, America has a uh, list of countries that we're very friendly with. And to, I'm going to use, the, I'm to paraphrase the exact word for the visa, to strengthen relations between the two countries, they let people between the ages of 18 and 30 or 18 and 35, depending on the country, um, get a work holiday visa to go and spend a six months to a year in another country. Um, so we've got one with South Korea, but I didn't speak Korean, so I didn't want to 
branch out that far. Uh, we can go to Canada, but only a year after you graduate college, and I missed the boat on that one, and uh, New Zealand and Australia as well. So um, hmm. I've always wanted to go to Australia It's uh, ever since watching like Steve Irwin as a little kid. And after I was there, everybody kept whispering in my ear, you got to do New Zealand. So and wow, that's hopped across and did New Zealand as well. That's yeah. fascinating. What what that's what really are cool. some of the like some of the highlights you would say of of doing that? Oh man, um, a the people because you're staying in hostels, you're meeting people from all over the world. Um, and I don't know if y'all can hear, but I don't have much of a southern accent anymore, and it's because people who have English as a second language cannot understand a southern accent. And being three years abroad um, kind of beat it out of me. Now I talk like a news reporter. Um, Besides that, the oh, the culinary cultures, like I serve food because I also just love food and mm. being able to try all sorts of different stuff is amazing. Um, it's And it opens your mind up to so many more ideas or so many different ways of thinking and being that uh, you don't get unless you um, take that first step on an adventure kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's uh amazing experience and if you're young enough man i highly suggest if you don't have any roots planted um looking into a visa opportunity yeah i uh i definitely i work so i work for the government actually and occasionally there are temporary detail uh deployments over there like at some of our bases in you know germany and and uh over there in europe so i've i've considered it and i always keep my eyes open when those uh when those announcements come across my desk so um Definitely something that I want. Germany to would be an easy one. Everybody in Germany speaks English. Um, it's actually really hard to practice German in Germany because they want to practice their English so much. Uh, mm. But it's also a very beautiful country. I spent about four months there, um, and it was uh, amazing. Awesome, awesome. Well, so yeah. uh, what motivated you to run for office then as a server? You know, so I. Uh, like I worked in, you know, just kind of a, like a podunk burger joint, right? I, you know, it wasn't enough to really make a whole lot of money for, uh, make a whole lot of money at. But, you know, most of the people that I worked with, even still, even just working at, at a burger joint, you know, those folks were like working to pay the bills, right? And they were not, most of them were not very political and they just kind of like put their head down and they wanted to work and they wanted to go home and smoke a blunt and drink some beer. I mean, I, I used not- to be in a very similar position, especially right mm-hmm. when I got out of college. Um, and I didn't really get politically motivated until 2016. Um, I was in Australia and they were advertising the Trump Clinton debates. Like it was a big deal. Uh, it mm. was such a circus, even overseas that it i started paying attention and then of course um, i got to see alabama's name pop up on international news list with the governor bentley thing and that got me mm-hmm. paying a little bit more attention to local stuff um and then what really pushed me over the edge and made me throw my hat in the ring was the 2020 election um when i looked at the ballot you had choices for the big leagues um but when it got down to smaller like the house seat um and uh, county spots, sheriff, uh, all those little things that are very important, but people don't really see it. They just, people pay attention to the big stuff. They don't pay attention to the little stuff. Uh, we didn't have a choice. I could only vote on like five things and there was 12 things on the ballot. And it was like half mm-hmm. the time it was vote for this guy or don't vote at all. And it didn't sit right with me. And I said, if I had the opportunity, I would at least be someone's choice. And that was originally like the whole 
thing. Originally, I thought it was going to run for something small um, when I contacted the Democrats. And a 20-minute conversation with Jason Fisher, who is the chairman of the Baldwin County Democrats, mm-hmm. he convinced me to run for something a little bit bigger, uh, the state house position. And originally, it was against uh, Representative McMillan, who, uh, God rest his soul, passed away back in, um, I think, March or April. Uh, he was the longest serving representative in Alabama's house. Um, I was not planning on unseating him. I was planning on this being an exercise in politics and just being a choice. And then he announced mm-hmm. his retirement two weeks after I filed. Um, so then it became a different exercise. Now I am now I'm running to win. Um, and here we are. So who is the who is the Republican nominee? The Republican nominee is a lady named Frances Holt Jones. Um, she has been in our area her entire life. Her dad was a former mayor of Foley, and uh, she is a insurance salesman who probably insures around 30 to 40 percent of the cars in the Gulf Shores, Foley, Orange Beach area. Um, she's very well known, and I will not beat her on being known. I have to beat her on policies, which is what I'm focusing on. Yeah, well, so what are... Um... You know, what What are some of the things that differentiate you from her, would you say? Well, uh, I guess the easiest thing is, so my grandmother is a registered Republican, so she got to get her little pamphlets, and Francis is running on uh, Christian conservative values, uh, which to me is regressive. It means... We're going to say with her in the house, we're going to continue to say no to gambling in a lottery. We're going to continue saying no to things like um, recreational marijuana. Uh, We're going to continue saying no to expanding Medicaid. Um, And those are things that I want to say yes to. I think that Alabama has a lot of revenue that we're missing out on because we continue to say no to – I guess I don't even say risque, but that's how people view it. Like these risque things like gambling and, and marijuana, even though we have an ABC board for booze and we sell cigarettes everywhere. It's um, but yeah, that's the, the main difference is I am not running on a religious platform at all either. Um, I want any, for anybody from any religion to be able to look at me and not feel alienated. And uh, how do you think that is going to go over in um, in your district, you know, talk to us about your district. Is it, is it a very, you know, religious district or, um, you know, very, very conservative or, uh, uh, you know, how, how do you feel like your district lines up with, with, um, what she's selling and, and what you're trying to run on? Oh, it lines up perfectly with what she's selling, uh, is Baldwin County historically has been a very red district. Um, since the great big Democratic to Republican flip that happened in like the early 90s, late 90s. Um, in fact, McMillan used to be a Democrat and flipped over to Republican. And since then, Republicans have uh, made this a real stronghold. Um, in fact, they have scared off Democratic candidates from running. The last time someone ran for this district under Democratic ticket was 2006. I couldn't even vote hmm. in 2006. Wow. Um, as far as the Christian thing goes, I mean – we're in the South. We are, uh, I've heard Alabama is called the, the belt buckle of the Bible belt. Um, it's, you can't drive five minutes in one direction without running past at least a church and a half. Uh, so if she plays up on that Christian evangelical side, she will win their vote. But we are also one of the fastest growing counties. We are the fastest growing county in Alabama. We're the seventh fastest growing county uh, in the country. 
And it's not because people are having babies on an exponential rate here. It's because we're getting an influx of people coming all over the country to be in this beautiful little slice of heaven we have down here. And they're bringing with them a lot of different uh, a lot of different ideas, uh, and a lot of them are a lot more left-leaning, even if they consider themselves more conservative in another state. When they get here, they're kind of shocked at how right the right has gotten. And mm-hmm. it's uh, pushing themselves to the left, and I hope to welcome them with um, open arms. So it's going to be a very interesting election because we haven't really gotten an idea of what that population has shifted to since 2006 mm-hmm. because nobody's ran. Interesting. Interesting. So what – what is your plan? You know, if, if your your idea of the district is is kind of generally pretty conservative, what is your plan to reach out to the uh, to to folks that you know you feel like um, maybe maybe initially inclined to vote for somebody that's doing this kind of weird Christian nationalism that um, that Republicans are trying to push out right now. Um, I plan to come from them from the direct middle of the aisle. Uh, the issues I want to work with on a local level are issues that everybody sees that need to be done here, mainly uh, issues with infrastructure because we are so fast growing and we get more and more tourists every year. Um, we're not – we're playing catch-up constantly, and I want to get ahead of that curve, and everybody else does too, and that's something that everybody sees eye-to-eye on. I think even Francis would say that she sees eye-to-eye on now. How we go about that and getting the money for that would probably be two different things. Um, But also just I want to reach them with common sense things Um, like it's nonsense that Alabama plays a grocery tax. And I know that two conservatives, one in the Senate and one in the House, both recommended uh, put forth bills to get rid of the grocery tax last session. And it did not come to fruition sadly but that gives me something i can run on something that i think will uh be very very easy to reach across the aisle and shake a lot of hands over um Mm -hmm. and it's going to be very very easy to get voters to see that way too i think also um something i wasn't planning on but it happened july the roe v wade thing is going to be a very uh divisive issue since she's running on christian conservative politics um I mean, I'd be willing to bet my bottom dollar that she is going to want to uphold the 2019 Human Rights Life Act. Um, I don't want to uphold that. Uh, That only has a caveat for abortion when it comes to the um, saving the life of the mother. I believe that there are much more, much, much more caveats to be put into a bill to make it even semi-workable. Things like rape and incest, things like... uh, genetic or physical abnormalities in the fetus where they will be non-viable in the first place and why would you want to stress a mother out and i think we're going to see a lot of people who are not voters normally coming out of the woodworks and they're going to be looking for someone who shares their idea of choice for women's reproductive health and i want to be that choice for them so um do you think that you're going to be able to get her to engage with you during this campaign do you anticipate any um, public debates or candidate forums with both of y'all present? That is an excellent question because I have been um, lobbying this idea to her since I think I called her in June. Um, and she basically politely wrote the idea off saying that there would be no interest in seeing a debate. Um, so what I'm starting to do now is, and by the time this goes out, hopefully uh, this will be picked up in news websites and uh, local papers, but um, I'm trying to say that there is an interest to see a debate here. 
since we are both non-incumbents, we both have no political history here, people deserve to know who they're voting for and what we stand for. Um, and I'd like to see that be on the stage. So yeah, we are. Uh, I released a press release. I don't think it got picked up, publicly challenging her to a debate again. And I'm asking uh, people all over my district, if they want to see a debate, to write letters to the editor saying so. Uh, getting that opinion out there um, into the public and hopefully getting her out of her turtle shell uh, into the public light and making her uh, make, say def definitely where she stands on important issues for our community and our state as a whole. So, you know, because this is a, a, a union radio program, uh, we're definitely interested in an examination of politics for working people. And so I'm interested in your approach and philosophy to uh, labor relations in general as it relates to the office that you would take if you were elected. Well, um, labor relations in general. We see a lot of candidates who run on either side of the aisle. One of the first thing they say is I'm a small business owner. Um, and this has happened time and time and time and time again. I'm not. I'm a worker. I am a laborer, and I want to have a laborer's voice at the table in Montgomery. Um, I think it was abhorrent what uh, Montgomery passed last session where the – and I can't remember the name of the bill, but it's basically saying that a cop can look at five people, and if those people are protesting in slightly the wrong way, he can just say that's a riot and arrest them. Uh, that's stepping on the First Amendment rights. So one of the first things we can do to help laborers, especially protesters like uh, UMWA District 20 – is get rid of that bill so that they can exercise the freedom of speech that the Bill of Rights guarantees them in this country. Um, as far as labor boards with not really union, but labor as a whole, Alabama needs a living wage. The federal wage has been stagnant for over a decade, and Alabama does not have one on the books. And people who are working 40 hours a week on minimum wage cannot afford to put food on the table and pay their rent at the same time. And that's ridiculous. Um, and then we can go into, because of that, now we have uh, the parasitism of payday loan groups, which thrive on people in poverty. Um, and that's a whole other thing that does relate to labor, but let, I'll we'll put that to the side and focus back on uh, labor relations. But we, we've Alabama has been all too happy to give companies and corporations all the power when it comes to um, having a discussion with their workers on benefits and rights given. Um, we see, I don't want to name names, but the if you happen to know who the largest single employer is in the state, um, I happen to know several people who have worked for them who say, oh yeah, you'll get full-time hours, you get full-time hours, you get full-time benefits, and they find that each week they're asked to clock out an hour before they would actually hit those full-time hours, mm -hmm. and that's manipulative and wrong, and there's something that we can do in the state to fix that. We can pass a simple little act says if you hire a person to work full-time, you have to guarantee them those hours every week um, right. and give them those benefits. Yeah, well, you will be happy to know that that anti-protest bill actually did not pass, um, which oh. was, yeah, yeah, we were we were following that very closely. We actually had the sponsor of the bill um, on the program, talked to him for like an hour. Um, that was uh, that was an interesting, <laughs> an interesting interview. That is... Um, but yeah, we uh, uh, we were very happy to see that uh, not pass. But you did something that 
Um, a lot of Democrats in Montgomery did not do, which seemed obvious to me, but you know, I, I, I do understand that I'm coming from a particular perspective, but you tied it to uh, the UMWA strike, and that bill, if passed, would have, if passed and enforced as written, it easily could have seen a lot of those folks out in Brookwood uh, in jail for months, and that seems totally unacceptable to me. And, 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 you know, it, it, it seems obvious that, you know, it's a good thing that Democrats opposed it and they were able to beat it back. But, but it seems obvious that that was a way, a missed opportunity to tie it to fighting for working people in Alabama, fighting for coal miners in Alabama, which Republicans yeah. are, you know, ostensibly, you know, I went into the strike with the understanding that uh, Republicans loved coal. But, uh, you know, the, the, the unstated thing is that they love coal bosses, not so much the workers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's. I mean, you, uh, I, Ted Cruz. I forget which speech it was. It's like Republican is the party of the working class now, and I'm just thinking, like, is it right when you look at everything that's been happening? Is it really? Um, so yeah, it's it's nice that it's obvious enough to see that yeah, Republicans are um, clearly not the party of the working people, and it's Democrats that are going to represent uh, the vast majority of people in Alabama which are working class people. So there, uh, one of the things that, um, that, that Joe Biden did recently was he signed an executive order saying that federal projects over 35 or $30 million are going to be project labor agreements, which, um, which are agreements that uh, set a standard for pay uh, and benefits that are at, at union levels on construction projects through the federal government. This is something that Alabama does not have. Um, and so and that makes projects for the state of Alabama in a lot of instances races to the bottom. Uh, it disadvantages local workers, it disadvantages uh, union workers, and it is to the advantage of uh, sleazy contractors, contractors who one don't do a good job, who don't pay their workers well, uh, who hire in a lot of instances undocumented immigrants that they're able to uh, use and abuse and not pay well. And we saw this just recently in Birmingham, where they used a non-union contractor to put up LED lights under the highway. It was, it was a, a multi-million dollar project to throw some lights under the highway. And then, just a couple months later, the lights stopped working. <laughs> you know, so, you know. You get what you pay for. Right, right. And, and so, do, would, would uh, as, a, as somebody, if you were elected, would you push for some of those strings to be attached to um, construction projects in Alabama uh, for, you know, certain wages, um, you know, uh, 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 apprenticeship programs, um, things like this, so that you know that the people that are being paid by our tax dollars are being paid well, they know how to do the job, and they're safe. Oh, absolutely. Um, one of my big things is uh, I believe in investing in this state. I don't believe in wasteful spending. Um, and having someone do a – I almost used a curse word – having someone do a not well job is wasting money. Um, and when you – like you said, when you have a union contract, you know these guys are A, paid well, which I love seeing people making a living wage, and B, you know that they 
know what they're doing and they're going to do a quality job. And that's what I want to see done on our state level. Any government project needs to be done with quality. Um, and yeah, like we're, I've seen, I've seen it time and time again. Yeah, we're not seeing it. And the street light, LED light, is a perfect example of that, lasting just long enough for the checks to clear and then mm -hmm. done so. I would. <laughs> I did not know he signed that law. I would love to see Alabama put that into effect and use it for workers get paid better. And you mentioned um, undocumented workers. Uh, I think that it should be said that they are easily abused when it comes to not paying them well. Um, and I know that here, uh, the Mobile Pensacola Builders Trade Council um, has been trying to help set up a union for cleaners for uh, condos and hotels and whatnot here. And one of the language, uh, the, the reason it hasn't gone so well is because of the language barrier, because a lot of the cleaners down here are um, from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And some of them might be undocumented. I can't speak on behalf of them all, but it does, uh, it's a hurdle that union people have to cross to um, work with these people and get them their deserved pay. Right, right. And and it, it's, a, it, it's a barrier that um, that they have to cross not only because that you know there's a language barrier and so there's the the obvious you know it's difficult to communicate but also when you are undocumented here you know quote unquote illegally what can the boss do to you that a boss couldn't do to me the worst case scenario for me is that I get fired right that is the absolute worst thing that can happen to me and then you know presumably I'm able to get a job somewhere else. Uh, the worst case scenario for an undocumented person is a lot worse than that. They can be deported in sometimes to places that they have never been before. And so the fact that, you know, bosses are able to use ICE basically is, as, uh, you know, a, a cudgel is, is really detrimental for those und undocumented workers, obviously, because it hampers their organizing ability. But what happens when bosses are able to get low wages, low working conditions, easily exploitable workers. Um, well, it lowers the wages for everybody else. So if these people were able to organize, these people were able to get better jobs, better wages, and stuff like that, that would raise everybody, you know, that would raise the floor for everybody. Um, so oh, it, yeah. it, it, it's very frustrating seeing stuff like that happen. <laughs> it is frustrating, yeah. <laughs> On that note, one thing I wanted to bring up uh, – and tying this back to a comment you mentioned earlier, which is that the working class is the majority of Alabama. Most people in Alabama are working class. We have to go work for a living. And while we have the majority in that sense, there's a lot of division inside of the working class of Alabama. Divisions upon race, religion that we touched on earlier, gender, uh, and, and so on, immigration status. So I was curious if you could speak a little bit more on what is your goal as a candidate and, and as someone running a campaign to bridge some of those divides and kind of coalesce a majority of working class folks despite some of those divisions, some of which are real and some of which are, you know, somewhat ar artificial and kind of propped up by media and ideology and, and so on. That's an excellent question. Um, when it comes to bridging the divide on uh, race, it's just getting out there and talking to everybody, um, regardless of the race. And then 
they see that they have a lot more in common with me than their uh, boss or the uh, the other candidate, which is a business owner. Like she runs an insurance agent, um, and that's the like I I kind of I'd say like you know I don't see color, but when it comes to this campaign, I'm trying to ignore race. Uh, I don't think it should be an issue, um, and that's coming from someone who's on the Hispanic Caucus of the SDEC, like because that was a way for me to have a vote. Um, but I want people to ignore it as well. I want people to um, look at this campaign and just realize like on an economic level, uh, which is because of inflation and all that, that's what I want them to focus on. Ignore your race, ignore your religion, um, focus on just the issues. And when I talk to people, that's what I try to focus on. I don't, you know, I don't ask them um, who they pray to. I don't, care what color the skin is um i just care that they have enough money to put food on their table and gas in their tank um i care that their boss is treating them well uh i care they have health insurance um one of the other things that i want to see done is getting that governmental supplement to expand medicaid um and i have not heard my opponent say anything about that uh but we recently read i think it was about back in april governor bentley former Governor Bentley put out a thing saying he mm -hmm. wished he would have expanded it. Mm -hmm. And we have heard yeah. nothing from the GOP about that since. Um, right. No House reps, no state senators, no, not even my opponent has said, you know what, that is a good idea. Um, and I think we can use that to unite us because that is a, he was very Republican. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, I'm, I wish I could. I wish I could answer this question better, but it sounds a lot better in my head than when the words come out. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm trying to unite by ignoring a bunch of things and focusing on just the big circle of a Venn diagram that is just you're a working class person, even if you're comfortably working class, even if say you're a plumber who does very well for himself because no matter what happens, everybody's plumbing messes up. You have more in common with the bagger at Publix. Uh, than you do with uh, a person who owns like four subways or something, a franchisee. And I want people to see that, see that commonality, regardless of race, creed, and all those, like you said, artificial divisions. Um, I'm tired of artificial divisions. Uh, and it, it's gotten, especially in Alabama, you see people who vote against their own self-interest because of this us v them mentality when there is no v there's no verses you're not fighting these people you're just voting against your self-interest so that they get uh the short end of the stick not really not realizing that you're on the same side of the stick um, school uh school answers. privatization school privatization is is something that seems like a perennial issue in alabama and there was a really big school uh they call it school choice um a school privatization bill in the session um this year what uh what is your position on on school choice school privatization so we saw the next level of school choice and privatization in arizona with that voucher system which is going to completely gut the public education system i believe in school choice um i think that if you like say okay we'll use my district as an example my district has uh baldwin county schools and then gulf shores and orange beach have privatized themselves and since and i know y'all don't have a map but people who know this place fort morgan even though it's on the island is unincorporated 
It's not part of Gulf Shores. It's not part of Orange Beach. So they go to the county schools. Um, because of this, they have the their school bus ride is very very long. They basically have to drive past Gulf Shores, go over the bridge, into Foley, and it takes forever. I think it should have a school voucher program where you can go to the closest public school to your house. I do not think that public dollars should be funding private education institutions because private education institutions are, and I hate to use the word on the right and everything, but you can influence kids. Let's say that you can influence kids a lot easier in a private school uh, well, they than you can a, a public school because public school right? has standards. Right? They, they a have a different mission. mission yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could even say like, you know, the word groom, but, um, <laughs> well, and private influence. schools they, can be exclusionary, like they're inherently exclusionary by, by definition, right? They're private, but, uh, you know, that's something that they are allowed to do. They are allowed, you know, school choice, I know, is a, is a clever framing, but what that means in, in practical terms is the schools can choose the students that they want to serve. Mm-hmm. And private schools have that luxury and to some extent charter schools as well in different ways, but oh, that is exactly public, schools, right. public schools don't get to choose, right? Whoever shows up at their door, regardless of their income level, the parents' involvement, the edu- uh, the, the language, if they're in the district, they're, they're, they have a right to attend that school and, and to be given a free, appropriate public education by law. And that's, you know, so it's, it's, it's a different, it's a totally different kind of, uh, education that's on offer there, um, and, and I yeah. think I think you're right on a non-exclusionary that. education. Right, yeah, and I, I think you're right that you know private schools have different uh, methods. They, you know, there are some private schools that are good, some private schools that aren't. That's your prerogative if if you so choose to go there. Uh, but it becomes a different story when you t- start talking about public tax dollars funding these private choices and these private institutions who have their own private goals. Exactly. Um, especially when it comes to schools that are religious in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe that you should use public dollars to ensure that a child is indoctrinated into a religion um, because you can't even our, our government is supposed to have a separation of church and state. And so if you're using state dollars to basically fund a church school, that it's blurring the line, it's breaking down that wall. And I don't agree with that. How do you think that um, Democrats should function and maybe could do a better job um, going forward in the super minority? You know, we're talking about... Um, Talking about some things that you would like to do if you would, um, if you got elected, you know, um, legalizing marijuana, um, you know, uh, uh, being pro-choice, get, uh, overturning that, um, the abortion law, stuff like that. But you know, we we recognize that I don't even know if there are enough Democrats running that if all of them won, they would uh, be in the majority, right? So, in all likelihood, even if you win. There, you're going to be in the minority, if not, and, and probably in the super minority, right? So everybody could leave, all of the Democrats could leave, and, and the Republicans could still pass all the legislation that they want, right? So, exactly. so <laughs> what can you do? What, uh, what do you think Democrats should be doing from that 
position to um, show working folks in Alabama that uh, that they care, um, that they are who working folks in Alabama should be voting for. What you know? Wh- what can you do from a super minority position in the legislature? We need to pass very simple bills that do just one thing well, and that one thing needs to be popular across the board. Um, I'm going to go back to the grocery tax thing, um, and we'll use you know we'll use the grocery tax thing, and then we'll use a federal example. We'll use the Build Back Better bill. The Build Back Better bill had a bunch of individual things that were popular across the board, had like 70, 80 percent approval for everything. But when you put it all together, the Republicans were able to twist it in such a way where it got very low approval ratings in the Republican side, right? So we need to focus statewide on very, very simple bills, like saying we're going to get rid of the grocery tax. That's the only thing we're going to do. And I think we'll be able to, there's enough people who are just center right to reach across the aisle and say, that's a good thing. That's going to help my constituents. That's going to help me get reelected. And once we have that win, we move on to something slightly bigger. Um, and I think the next big thing is probably going to be a lottery. Uh, very simple bill about it. Don't include gambling with it. Gambling, I think, is a little bit too divisive. Let's put it, that's not saying I don't want gambling, but I want to do two separate bills to get it. We should have just a lottery bill and then come back and do a gambling bill. Because I think we can, if we get the lottery bill, it'll be that much easier to sort of guide these Republicans who are seeing the light and kind of getting a little progressive. Uh, and getting more and more of them on the, on our side, um, because we're not going to be, like you said, every Democrat can vote the same thing, and they could just shut us down. Um, we need to work together with conservatives. We need to find commonality and get those passed. Um, I know some things are going to be hard lines in the sand that we're going to continue like a battering ram and try to pass certain things, like repealing the 2019 abortion act. Now that has to be something that we really, really focus on, but we cannot lump it together with something else that we can pass. We need to do one thing at a time. And if it doesn't get passed the first time, we put it back forth again, put it back forth again, put it back forth again. Um, And as far as winning over uh, the common people in our state on a state level, we need to not so much focus on the state house and the state legislator we need to start filling those positions on the ballot down ballot um school board and education i know those are nonpartisan roles but everybody kind of knows where you're leaning um mayoral roles that haven't been challenged in a while like next time people vote look on that ballot see who's unchallenged and then do a little research and see how long it's been since they had a challenger because those people are getting complacent and i don't think they are doing right even if they started with a good head on their shoulders and a good head in the game i and that gets into term limits and that's something else we should pass but but that's another that's another question another answer um we need to democrats need to show out and challenge these people who are just sitting on their butts in the county and getting a paycheck for it and are going completely unchallenged so they're not willing to try new ideas to better their communities because they don't have to Richard Brackner, where can people learn more about you and potentially help your campaign if they're interested? Oh, man, I would love for people to help my campaign. Um, If you go to my website, richardbrackner.com, 
thanks for having a unique name. I got it. Um, you'll find a link for my act blue and you can donate there. You can also find me on social media. Um, if you go to my website, you'll see a link to my Facebook page, my Twitter page, or my Instagram page. Um, I'm most active on Facebook and Twitter. I'm not such a good photographer, so I don't post a lot on Instagram, but I'm hoping to change that. And, uh, if you're down in district 95, um, I try to post events and do stuff. I'm going to try to do stuff more and more. Come find me in person. If you see me having a beer at the bar, come say, hey, um, I am willing to talk shop anytime, anywhere. And uh, you know what? Here, uh, I'm going to give my phone number two. It is 251-230-VOTE. That's 8683. Text me. Um, I will text you back. I, uh, it, I want to be a representative for people. And the only way you can represent people is by listening to them. And if I don't hear from you, then how am I supposed to represent you on what issues that you care about? So, yeah. Um, and Richard at richardbragner.com if you prefer email. All right, Richard, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you, guys. And um, enjoy the rest of y'all's day. All right. Thank you, you so too. much. Have a good weekend. Thank you. All right. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, best right. of yeah, luck man. to you. Really, it was awesome. Really, Thank y'all so much for having me. Yeah, Absolutely. really, uh, I'm, I'm proud to see a fellow worker jumping into the fray, and, and I know it's got to be very difficult, uh, but yeah, really applaud you. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's, uh, it's getting harder, mostly because, um, I didn't go over this, but I'm having to cut hours at work now that it is mm. for less than 100 days, um, mm -hmm. and it's also getting harder because my my work has lost the summer people, so they need me more. Uh, right. But yeah, so it's like a balancing act, like getting off for events and everything that aren't exclusively for me. Like there's a mm -hmm. there's a celebration for the 19th Amendment coming up soon, um, and I'm gonna have to miss it because no one else can work that day because they uh, we've lost our our summer workers and other workers have kids and stuff. So I mm -hmm. won't be able to make my presence known there to potential voters who care that women can vote. Yeah. So well, is, hopefully you yeah. can grow your volunteer team and, and have more folks who can go out and rep you at these events when you're not available. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, that's actually a good idea. I actually have I've only been able to do that once. Um, I had a young gentleman who uh, was here for me because I months ago I, I had to go to a wedding in Mexico that I promised my girlfriend like a year that I would go. And it coincided with a very important meeting. Um, are you all familiar with? Uh, the Little Lagoon and what's been going on with BCSS. It's like kind of a local issue, but like, so, you know, our economy is tied to the environment. I know we right. didn't touch on that, but like everybody's big on the environment here, which is another common touchstone issue that both the right and the left can agree on. And there is a waste treatment facility um, that has been trying to increase their waste effluent going into a lagoon from 1.2 million gallons average per day to 2.1 million gallons average per day and they're trying to say it's safe and everything and this little lagoon society has like these environmental scientists that came in there and tested the waters and made a hell of an argument uh in front of the city council and uh the county board and they've actually now they are um let's see how is it the legal the legalese term for it the bcss now is in a appealing a decision made by the city to get rid of one of their lakes and uh, their like sewage lakes, like dump lakes, mm. uh, because it was so close to a house, um, housing development. Um, but 
I couldn't be there for that. It was extremely important because like it's the only leftist running at the time. Um, and to like say like, you know, I want to be a person in government fighting to make sure this kind of situation doesn't happen anywhere else in okay. Alabama. And I couldn't, but a politically savvy young man stepped up and was like, dude, give me your cards. I will be there for you and speak on your behalf. And I could not thank him enough. Yeah, that's that's what yeah, it's going to take. I should do that again more and more. You're very, you're going to be very grassroots and shoestring budget. I mean, you're not going to have the big, big money supporting you and like a lot of infrastructure. Oh, so dude. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully. You no, and in comparison, road. like she's got three hundred thousand dollars. I've raised about twelve thousand. So it's mm. yeah, different league. Right. Yeah. But yeah, man. No, like doing things like this. Um, just having my name spread out there. Like y'all are doing me a bigger service than I am doing you a service like by well, answering y'all's questions like well, y'all are helping me out so much hopefully it'll uh, spark some interest and hey even folks up in our neck of the woods can chip in five ten bucks to your campaign you know and I think uh, dude, every I dime think people, counts man uh, it's gonna be I think people will be interested to hear like hey here's an actual working class person running for a change because mm-hmm. you know that's why Jacob was so intrigued and was telling me about you when he got back from the convention like yeah, I think you were probably the only right, one cool. that I talked to uh, Adam about besides Will Boyd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Like, hey, wow. Man, person. I wish I could have stayed and talked to you, but yeah, that was literally, I mean, here, like, mm-hmm. when I gave my speech, I was like, I wish I could stay yeah, and that, answer questions, but literally, that, I had worked. That, yeah, that that's evening. what I told Adam. I was like, this motherfucker came up to Montgomery and had the white tables that evening. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, that's real, though, and yeah. I, th- I think that can resonate with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just I hopefully hope does, you can grow man. that team, grow that team of volunteers so that you have people you can trust to, yeah. to be there when you can't be there because um, it's going to take people power you're not going to have the the money mm-hmm. power or the, the infrastructure but people power and then oh, yeah. uh and, and then some... once the election's over you can start a big restaurant union in mobile <laughs> oh dude i no the gulf shores needs one man um I just oh, yeah. found out that actually like a couple of the biggest ones might close because the owner is in like in the middle of a sexual harassment lawsuit. Oh, um, so and see the hangout, you know, the hangout. Yeah. Down in Gulf Shores, they do the hangout fest. Uh-huh. No, no, I'm uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he is, uh, the owner is apparently not a good person when it comes to dealing with the opposite sex. And, uh, he finally tried to, um, do something with the wrong person and she's speaking up. Wow. So, it, yeah, I honestly, I'm like mixed feelings at one point, like he employs a lot of people, right, like a lot yeah. of people. But on another point, um, scumbags deserve what's coming to them. But yeah, it's yeah. going to like have a trickle down effect where like the restaurant might be damaged because of it. And I don't want people to lose their jobs. But yeah, he also well, didn't do right with COVID and everything, man. I knew people that worked right. there that were I was like, y'all should you I kept I actually whispered. I was like, y'all could unionize and like, mm-hmm. Well, you know. one of the, I mean, and, and one of the things that um, that you can get in a union contract, I don't think very many people do it, but it's, you know, you can put anything you want in, in the contract, more or less, is that is that um, if something happens with ownership and, and they decide that they want to go bankrupt or they want to sell the place or whatever it is and they don't want to run the business anymore, that they have to offer to... Um, sell it to the workers first and the you know the co-op. workers could get a loan yeah and and just to, and allow the workers to turn it into a co-op and and you know that's something that you could get in in a union contract if if, if one were properly motivated and, and theoretically you know. the state could 
expand its support of such things because right now if like the three of us said yeah we're gonna open up a restaurant a co-op restaurant i mean how many banks are going to be jumping mm -hmm. at jumping to, to give us a loan right <laughs> the bank of yeah, labor so might encouraging yeah, that you know, investment but see, yeah that, there's a role there for government and and that's economic development that's right. business creation that is economic right? development. And, and, yeah. and that's real and that's small bus small business owners right yeah. that's bottom-up economic development and i think you know that's something that i'd like to see a lot more folks in government thinking about how can how can state and local governments support the growth of co-ops uh and yeah worker-owned businesses i think that's um and that's something that doesn't necessarily have to be super political or like alienate folks like mm -hmm. like you said small business owners but right. you're gonna be mad at me because we're yeah. gonna start a small business just because right. we want to do it a little differently <laughs> Right. Uh, instead of just me being in charge and making all the money, we'll all work together to do it, right? But um, yeah, anyway, you can't be uh, angry that you're skinning a cat a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah, yeah. anyway, uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, really appreciate what you're doing, and just keep us posted. And, and oh, best of you, luck man. as the campaign unfolds. Yep. I know it was Adam, right, and Jacob. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. I know, Jacob, I'm following you on Twitter. I followed you earlier this afternoon. Uh, Adam, if you got a Twitter, man, I would love to... I'm not on Twitter. I am on Facebook. Yeah, Adam Twitter. Keller, uh, if you want to find me on Facebook. I, I'm I'm the more off-the-grid guy. Jacob's Jacob's plugged in. I'm off-the-grid. Uh, yeah. No, I was, <laughs> I was trying to be like you. I was actually like disconnecting myself from all social media right before I started running and then one of the first <laughs> things like they were asking was like, so what's your presence like? And I was like, mm, yeah, maybe like once a month I'd post a little something they're like nope like yep. you're doing like every other day and i was like right yeah <laughs> yeah that's, that's that's tough it's tough but uh yeah keep keep it up man keep it up keep it up yep thanks for oh, definitely appreciate it gentlemen yeah no it was a pleasure um now i gotta get back to work all right. have a good one yep. all right. see you cheers